0: Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call, and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make this switch to Patriot Mobile, They will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back. pop in your headphones and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Sheila,
1: welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Hello, oh, I'm a crappy Christian too. <laughs>
0: welcome. All are welcome here. We're just doing our best, you know. hmm First of all, I meant to say this before we started recording. The Great Sex Rescue, such a great book. I actually tried to get you on the show for the launch of that book, and your schedule was full already. Uh-huh. So I love your work and am like just love learning from you. So this is exciting for me to get to like have a conversation with you, especially awesome. about something passionate about. Because you have another book, mm-hmm. you co-authored it with two other women. But she deserves better. Raising girls to resist toxic teachings on sex, self, and speaking up. That is so spicy. And I'm so here for it. Tell us a little bit about the book.
1: Yeah. So I really grew out of The Great Sex Rescue because The Great Sex Rescue was based on our survey of 20,000 predominantly evangelical women to look at how key beliefs that are taught in the evangelical church actually end up hurting women's marital and sexual satisfaction and how we can get back to what God intended. So we wrote that. And then if you go on Amazon right now and you look at the reviews, you will see like over 2000 people saying it was so validating. It was so freeing. I feel great. Like, just like you're nodding right along, right? (laughs) Yeah. But then what people were saying was, okay, but now I don't know what to do with my kids because I grew up with all this toxic stuff. I don't want to pass that along. But I also don't want the pendulum to swing to the other direction where I'm telling my 14-year-old go do whatever you want, right? So where's the happy medium? So we decided to do another research project because we're just like that. So we surveyed another 7,000 women this time to ask, what were your experiences like in church as a teenager? What messages did you hear? And how did those affect you long-term?
0: Did you grow up evangelical or in the church? Like, Do you have these experiences?
1: I did, but it was interesting because my church experience as a teen was really different from my two co-authors. So I'm a Gen X, so I was a teenager in the eighties. And then my two co-authors, one is my oldest daughter, Rebecca, who does the surveys and the focus groups and helps me edit. And one is Joanna Sawatsky, who does all of our stats and both of them are millennials. And so their experience as youth group was very different from mine. Like for me, youth group was all about learning to pray and learning to share your testimony and evangelism and concern for missions. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, purity culture came in sort of mid-90s to maybe around 2015, although it's still there just with different words now. Right. (laughs) And everything changed. All of a sudden, girls' faith can be defined by whether or not they're a virgin. And that's really all that matters. Yep. And it was bizarre because that was not the case in the 80s.
0: I've never thought about how we would have had completely different experiences. Mm-hmm. And I even, I talk about purity culture in my book and I went deep down the rabbit hole of like the Southern Baptist convention and where did true love weights come from and all of these conferences. And the reality is, is that, cause I'm a millennial as well. I'm 34. I lived through like that coming into the conversation. Didn't even occur to me that the women that came before us were probably watching it happening, going, what are you
1: guys doing? What? Are-? Well, the interesting thing is in some ways, I think a lot of women my age and boomer women thought it was a good thing at first, because you got to remember how terrible the eighties were. We often forget this, but teen pregnancy rates were going through, this, through the roof. Rates of sexual activity were huge. Alcohol and drug use was huge. And the whole world was looking and going, holy cow, we got to do something. And so yeah you know, the school systems brought in huge comprehensive sex ed. The church freaked out and the church was like, no, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to say dating's wrong. (laughs) Like like, it's not just that sex is wrong. Everything's wrong. And when you look at our data over generations, like among boomers, nobody was not allowed to date. Like everybody was allowed to date. Oh yeah. Okay. In Gen X, we all dated. And if you look at What the percentage of women who kissed before marriage, I mean, no matter what, it's still an overwhelming percentage. Like even among millennials, I think it was like 88% in our survey. But even that, the fact that there was like 12% in our survey that waited for marriage to kiss and our survey was heavily weighted towards conservatives, right? Yeah. There was none of that. Like that just wasn't a thing for Gen X and boomers. So it's not like they were going back to some bygone Christian era. This was a totally new thing. I mean, yeah. even Jane Austen in her books, they kissed an engagement. Like, this is right.
0: The- <laughs> right. And then you've got us with, we're not, ki- not kissing, we're kissing dating goodbye. Like, yeah. we're not doing any of it. I actually just had an interview come out with Austin Knoll. He's significantly younger than me. He speaks to the younger millennial generation. And he's having this conversation from the male perspective. And it is so fascinating. Cause he's, I mean, I think he's early twenties. So he's like fresh out of youth group era. And he's talking about how much they were inundated with the belief that they could not be trusted to date. No. You can't trust yourself to date because you won't have any self-control. Yeah. Then they send us out into the world and we don't even know how to talk to girls because we're afraid of what we might or might not do. And so it this movement really has kind of crippled multiple generations in really a myriad of ways. I mean, even just going back to the the subtitle of the book, sex, self, and speaking up, just those three things, this culture and these teachings impacted us so much.
1: Yeah. And we need to grapple with that. And one of our big values among the bare marriage, I call us the bare marriage team because we're at baremarriage.com. We have the bare yeah. marriage Podcast, and we're just all about research. Is we actually believe Jesus when he said, You will recognize them by their fruit. Mm. Okay. Like we think, Okay, if Jesus said it, he must have meant something by it. And when you look at that passage in context, he's talking about false teaching. He's saying, Okay, look, if there's a false teacher and you're trying to figure out if it's false or not, you look at the fruit because a bad tree can't bear good fruit and a good tree can't bear bad fruit. And so that's what we're doing. We're just looking at the fruit. We're saying, Okay, if this message is so great, then we should see good results long term. Yeah. We should see better marriages. We should see better mental health, better self esteem, fewer people marrying abusers. Like everybody should be doing well. Right. And if we're seeing bad stuff, then the root has to be bad and we need to start reevaluating. And what's happened over and over again in the evangelical church is that these movements have come in, these teachings have come in, and people say this is God's word, and it's not. Mm. It's merely someone's interpretation. And what we're simply asking is let's just measure and see if it works rather than just saying, this is the word from on high.
0: What is some of the fruit that y'all saw? I mean, I know it has to be like the longest list, but what is some of the fruit that you're seeing coming out for our generation that lived through this?
1: I think one of the big things is that women were taught not to recognize red flags. Oh, specifically taught not to recognize red flags. So we were taught that if a man or a boy treats you badly, that is not a sign that they are a predator. That is merely a sign that they are male <laughs> and it's your job to keep him under control. And so if you want, if you want to look at how that actually plays out, let's take one of the worst messages, which is the modesty messages. So we measured, <laughs> Yeah, you can see from your face, you're like, Oh my God. Yes. Okay, we measured four different iterations of the modesty message. Boys are visual in a way that girls will never understand. A boy can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to incite it. Girls have a responsibility not to be a stumbling block to the boys around them. And a girl who is dressed immodestly is worse than one who doesn't, who dresses modestly. And when you look at the sum total of those, it's, it's terrible. It's just abysmal. But if we break it down, believing the one specifically about boys... Then she has a 52% higher rate of experiencing vaginismus, which is a sexual dysfunction disorder where the muscles of the vaginal wall contract and sex becomes really painful, if not impossible. It's largely an evangelical female problem. Like We're like two and a half times the rate of the general population. This is one of our major research areas in the Great Sex Rescue, and it's awful. Yeah. So the modesty message, highly correlated. She's also 68% more likely to marry an abuser. Yeah.
0: Well, and this goes all the way back
1: to the playground. Mm -hmm. As a mother
0: of daughters, I will tell you that there have been situations where my eight-year-old is being actively, physically bullied by a little boy. And I have someone telling me, well, it's because he has a crush on her. Yeah. That just means that he likes her. (laughs) And my response like blew a room apart once because somebody said that. And I said, yeah, you know. I'm just not raising a daughter to believe that when men like her, they put their hands on her in an aggressive way.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Everybody in the room agreed. Yeah. But that's what we've been taught. This goes all the way back to playground play. No, no. Like just because he can't control himself and he keeps pushing doesn't mean he has a crush on my
1: daughter. It means he has no self-control. Exactly. Exactly. And yet, this idea that boys have no self-control is taught everywhere. Like even the idea that like a boy can't stop in a makeout situation. And so she's responsible for stopping. Oh, yeah. I think our figure was 68% of women believe that as teenagers. And that just tells girls not to recognize red flags. We talked to so many women who were victims of date rape and they didn't know it was date rape. Yeah. Because they felt like I consented to start kissing. And so what did I expect? And that's actually what is said in the books, Every Young Woman's Battle and For Young Women Only. And For Young Women Only, Shanti Felden tells teenage girls that 82% of boys feel either little ability or little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. Yeah. I'm sorry. 100% of boys have ability to stop in a makeout situation. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Every Young Woman's Battle talks about situation that sounds like it could be date rape. It could it's it's ambiguous and she did not really clarify, but her takeaway is what did she expect being alone with him? Right. And it's like, oh my gosh. And this has repercussions. We talked to a girl, one girl who was a victim of date rape. She she couldn't put words to it. She went to her youth pastor and he said, what did he expect dating a non-Christian? You put yourself in that position.
0: Oh yeah. dating a non-Christian. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was they had even less self-control and self-responsibility.
1: Yeah. Even though the boys that are in your youth group have none in their eyes, right? Which makes no sense. Like, are we honestly saying that the Holy Spirit is more active in women than men? Oh, I wonder if you ask them. Yeah, if the Holy Spirit is more active in women than men, then why is it that men are in leadership and women aren't? Exactly. Like what that would be such an
0: intriguing question to ask a youth pastor who actively still. Mm-hmm like perpetuates this message. Is that what you're saying? Is you're say, Are you saying women have more of the Holy Spirit than men?
1: Yeah. And the answer that they usually give is in line with the book, Every Man's Battle, like that series, which is no, it's just that men were made. So what they say is men just don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. And we see another reason for sexual sin among men. We got there naturally simply by being male. So they equate male sexuality with the objectification of women. And so when men behave like that, it's a good thing. That's even how Dana Gresh frames it. So Dana Gresh wrote And the Bride Wore White, and she wrote Secret Keeper Girl curriculum. It was all over North America. Oh, yeah. These conferences and conventions. And she had one of the most alarming things. So get ready for this one. Okay. So there's uh, an exercise that she asks moms, moms and daughters to do, and it's called Raise and Praise. So you raise your arms in the air. And if your belly shows, that's bad. That means you're not being modest because bellies are intoxicating. And she goes on to explain, there's a conversation that moms are supposed to have with their daughters. So moms are supposed to say, do you remember what intoxicating means? It's like when you're drunk and you get out of control and God made men to be intoxicated by our bodies, but you're only supposed to be intoxicating to one man, your future husband. So you have to cover up to make sure you don't intoxicate someone else. So she is telling girls as young as eight that the sight of their bellies can make a grown man get out of control and that this is God ordained. I have like no words. You have, you have what, a six-year-old daughter? I have a six and an eight-year-old. And an eight-year-old. Like
0: let someone tell my eight-year-old that they're the problem. Mm-hmm. I will go through you. You know what I mean? And yeah. There's a story that I tell in the purity culture of my book about being at summer camp and wearing a one-piece bathing suit with basketball shorts and a t-shirt while the boys walked around shirtless Mm -hmm. and being like in that moment in the sixth grade being able to see the disconnect and saying I sat down next to a camp counselor and said why am I wearing three layers Mm -hmm. of clothing and the boys aren't wearing any shirts and her response was modest is hottest because she didn't know what to say because she was probably 17 and had been inundated by the message her whole life as well you know I don't hold her responsible but that disconnect between what we're teaching boys and what we're teaching girls is so drastic or what we were obviously I don't have kids in youth group yet I hope this is getting better but I
1: think we still are I mean every summer you get there's all of these articles about dress codes once again surfacing and this becomes an issue at churches. And it's so funny because the most recent meta-analysis, so there's this huge meta-analyses, which are huge um, academic studies where they combine as many studies as possible to come to a definitive conclusion. And there was one in 2020, one in 2021, looking at brain scans between men and women. And basically there is no difference between the visual nature.
0: Oh, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Women are just as visual. It's just that our subjective arousal isn't as in tune with our objective arousal. So, so we could physically be aroused, but our minds are like, nah. Right. So whereas men are more likely to have it all in tune, you know, and we right. get aroused by different things and it's very complicated, but the idea that men are just more visual now, we're we're equally visual. Trust me,
0: we are. I mean, because that literally say in the story that I was like, these boys are hot like we're in the sixth grade we're starting to hit puberty and I remember being like why is it okay for me to be like we could go make out behind the bleachers?" yeah but like I have to protect them from that I think that's another and you mentioned that earlier the idea of like women our purpose before marriage is essentially protecting Mm -hmm. the boys it's what like And then that just completely divorces us from our own body because we think our bodies are something that men need to be protected from.
1: Yeah, exactly. And here's an interesting stat. When girls feel embarrassed of their periods, they are far more likely to marry abusers. Their self-esteem goes way down. Their future marital sexual satisfaction go way down. Like the more information we give girls about how their bodies work, the more sex ed we give girls, there is no downside. Like the better they do in every single measure. But when girls feel like I'm a problem, my body is a problem, my body is embarrassing, then all kinds of bad stuff happens. Yeah.
0: So I asked you what the like what the byproduct, the fruit that we've seen. This is, I'm genuinely asking this because now I'm just so invested. What was the worst belief system that you con- saw come out of purity culture?
1: I don't know if it was out of purity culture itself as like an overarching belief. It's been in the church for a long time, and I think it's what allowed purity culture to even get there is this idea that we should be living boundaryless lives. Like having boundaries is a non-Christian thing. So let me give you an example when my oldest daughter and co-author Rebecca Lindenbach, when she was about fifteen, she was at a youth group event, one of those weird ones where you're staying overnight in the church yeah. for some reason. I don't know why youth groups do that, but whatever. And there was a guy there who was eighteen, and he was known to have sexually assaulted several girls at the high school. Like he was a known predator. Okay. And he was super creepy. And several of the girls were really uncomfortable. And my daughter's like a really big personality. And so she's like, I'm going to go fix this. So she goes to the youth leader and she says, we're not comfortable. This isn't okay. Because you know, overnight they're going to be running all around the church. Like this isn't safe. And the youth leader said to her, why are you being so judgmental? He needs to know Jesus. And he wouldn't do anything about it. And so the boys in the youth group buddied up with each girl so that a girl was never alone. (laughs) So the boys looked after the girls. The youth leader did not because doesn't she know that he needs to know Jesus?
0: Yeah. Grace. Why aren't you giving him grace? Why aren't you loving him as your brother in Christ? Yeah. When what loving him would look like would be holding him responsible for his actions so that he doesn't do it to anybody else.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And Jesus did not die so that your predator could be on the praise team. Like we we really need to think this differently.
0: And that that idea of boundaries or the lack thereof or that or demonizing boundaries mm-hmm. goes so far beyond like the sexual elements of our lives. It does. Right? That we're taught to just be available, do whatever anybody asks us to do. And so much of it I think is taught to us in those terms of grace and love. Mm -hmm. This isn't graceful of you. This isn't loving of you. And what I had to learn as an adult, (laughs) and probably later in my adulthood than I should have, was I want to be able to love people well. And that requires boundaries because if I don't have boundaries, then I'm not loving myself well. Yeah, exactly. And that was
1: never prioritized. Like the idea of loving yourself was big bad. Yeah. The idea of self-esteem was bad too. Right. Because what we were taught was something like joy, Jesus first, other second, you last. Yep. And we have a number of activities and she deserves better. At the end of each chapter, we have activities that you can do with your kids or youth group leaders can do their youth group on how to recognize when someone's violating your boundaries. And yeah, it isn't always sexual. It's, it's the kid who's texting you all the time because she's lonely, but you need to get homework done. Yep. You know, it's the boyfriend you want to break up with, but he says, if you break up with me, I'll kill myself. Yep. You know, how, how do kids handle this? And so let's let's talk that through because these are big things that a lot of kids are dealing with. But when, we're, when our kids think everybody else matters more than me, everything bad flows from that because Jesus never said that. What Jesus said was love others as you love yourself. Right.
0: And it's like we chopped off the second half of that sentence. Mm-hmm. But do you find especially for women?
1: Well, definitely because we live, in, we're in a church where men's voices matter and women's don't. Yeah. When we're in churches where there is mostly male leadership, what that is saying is that women's opinions and voices do not matter as much. And so we met we actually measured this with a funny one, the idea that girls talk too much. So Shanti Feldon said that in her book for Young Women Only, Brio magazine from Focus on the Family was constantly talking about how boys don't like girls who talk too much. There was this narrative in the Christian church, maybe you've heard it, that women speak twice as many words a day as men. (laughs) Yeah. James Dobson I think I think his numbers were like 25,000 words a day for women and 14,000 for men or something and then Gary Smalley changed it to 50,000 and 25,000 and then someone else did 14,000 and 7,000 whatever but nobody ever cited a source right. right and so when researchers actually looked into it women and men say virtually the same number of words a day there is no statistical difference <laughs> except when there's a mixed group so when there's both men and women men say way more than women. It's not until the group is 80% female that women say their fair share. Right. So when we asked women, hey, do girls talk too much? Most women did believe that as teenagers. And when they did, they were more likely to marry abusers. Self-esteem went down, even more likely to do an unfair amount of housework once they were married. Wow. Like it's crazy because when you think girls talk too much, what you're saying is my words are a problem. My thoughts are a problem. He matters more than I do.
0: Well, in that, in my unfortunately extremely experienced belief, is the overarching theme is the too much, right? Is this it? They gave us this huge fear that we were going to be too much of something. Mm -hmm. It was like that target was constantly moving, so you just learned to make yourself smaller. Even friends that I have that didn't have big like ridiculous personalities. I and we've had this conversation. I'm very lucky to have kind of the the friends that we did. We like went through the purity culture war zone. Now on the other side <laughs> are raising children of our own and trying to figure this out together and they're even saying, "I had a pretty like normal female personality and I felt the need to shrink it down to make my needs, my desires, my beliefs, my opinions" smaller to make them more digestible. And you said this at the beginning of the episode, because my sexuality, my dating, getting married in the end was the most important thing. That's what we taught them. And what they taught us is like, that's the end result. I mean, I can remember being a kid and being like, I'm going to be a virgin until I get married. And then I'm going to get married. And that's going to be like my ultimate role in life. And it is, I love being a wife and I love being a mother but I'm also so much more. And I've had to like work really hard to bring those parts of myself back after kind of shoving them down for so long.
1: Yeah, and that's what women need to hear is like, God made you to have a voice. You have his permission to be big and our girls need our permission to be big because we live in a church that will try to keep her small and that needs to change. Yeah. And I think it will When more and more women stop supporting churches that are trying to make us small. Yeah.
0: What does that look like? So moms that are listening may feel a little overwhelmed by evaluating the church or the system or the community that they're in and seeing these things, especially if we've been raised to ignore red flags, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you Mm -hmm. said earlier, like what can we be looking for?
1: Well, this is what we're really trying to say in the book is like, first of all, the good news is that church attendance is good. Okay. So church attendance, believe in God, that's all good. They lead to great outcomes long-term. And this is such an established fact in the academic literature. They don't even study it anymore. Like psychologists know religiosity is good. So they might study how it affects, you know, subpopulations, but this is an established fact. But what we found is that when girls internalize a lot of these toxic things, all the benefits of church attendance disappear and they actually would have been better off not attending church at all at least if you look at marital and sexual outcomes if you look at marrying an abuser if you look at self-esteem yeah none of us want that like we want to take our kids to church because they, we want them to know god and we want them to thrive and so this is p- parents need to understand this is like if you are in a church which is teaching stuff that you don't believe but you know it's a fun church it's got great worship there's a huge youth group you may not be doing your daughter a favor. Yeah, yeah. Because if she's in that quote unquote great youth group, she's making friends with people whose parents are gonna believe stuff that you don't. Yeah, She's more likely to go to camp and go to huge retreats with people who are going to be teaching her explicitly things that you don't believe. And what if she believes that instead of you? And what if she goes off and gets married to someone in that community? You know, it's not just about a fun youth group. It's about what that youth group is telling her about her worth. Yeah. And we need to be careful because not all churches are toxic. A lot of them really are not, (laughs) but many of the most conservative ones and often the ones with the flashiest youth groups can be the most toxic. And I can tell you
0: from my experience now as an adult, I have a really incredible relationship with my parents. I was raised in a actually solid Christian home that wasn't legalistic, that taught us our worth, but the youth group that we were going to was jacked up. I look back at some of the things that they said to us. I'm like, how did a full grown adult men say this to a room of 16 year olds? And my parents had no idea. Mm -hmm. They had no idea that that was what was being taught. And I don't fault that them for that. They thought that they could trust This church that they were invested in and and the youth group and then becoming an adult and both my sister and I sitting down and having conversations with my parents about what was taught to us, they were mortified. They ended up actually leaving the church that they had been at forever because they couldn't reconcile what that church had taught us. I think it kind of comes back to, and they say this now, like, you don't want to be a helicopter parent. I don't want to be all over my kids, but you better believe what they're being taught is going to go through me. And that requires effort and energy and being present. But I can tell you as someone whose parents wish they had done that, that
1: that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had I had almost the same experience as your parents. My kids went to youth group. I didn't realize it was being taught. But what we did do was we talked about the stuff at home. And that's what She Deserves Better can help you do is it gives you lots of conversations to have with your daughter so that she learns how to recognize the tricky stuff and so that she will speak up. My daughter spoke up at youth group all the time. <laughs> And said, that's crazy. Yeah. But you know, it's hard when you're a 17 year old kid and your youth pastor is 23. He has no life experience. He has very little education and, and he's supposed to be your mentor. And he was probably raised in this toxic culture. Yeah. This is
0: what he was taught. He's just regurgitating what he was taught. Yeah. I think if your experience in purity culture resulted in trauma and pain, it's easy to look back and want to be like angry about it. And I went through a season of that where I was like, what would my life be like if these people hadn't gotten their hands on me and jacked up my view of myself and of my mm-hmm. sexuality? And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that you're, that's a part of like the grieving and the the realizing it. But then the other side of that is, okay, what happened happened? How can I make sure it doesn't happen to the next generation? How can I be a part of changing the conversation? And that's what you're doing. And that's what I'm doing. And that's what I think a lot of parents are doing. You said that earlier, that I think that they, this culture is changing. It's just going to require us like speaking up and knowing the facts. I cannot tell you how obsessed I am with how much re- like that y'all are so research based. Like, that's why I love the great sex rescue is like, give me facts, give me citations, give me numbers, because it tells me that what's happening is either
1: working or not working. Oh yeah, we're all about the charts. We're so many charts. I we're love charts chart. and graphs. Charts and graphs. Yeah. Charts and graphs.
0: <laughs> and you're, but it's all and the other thing that I really love, I'm fangirling now at this point, but I love that y'all don't only interview just Christians. Like usually it's a more conservative and there it is Christian, but like it feels like we've got a good pulse on mm-hmm. what's going
1: on across the board and like in a factual way. Yeah, and we talked to a lot of people who left the church too. Right. We need to hear their stories, you know, because that matters. And if you don't, if you want your kids to stay clinging to Jesus, then we need to understand what drove people away. Yeah. And so often what drove them away is people telling your girls that they don't matter, their their voices don't matter. Other people have the right to use you and abuse you, and you're not allowed to speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Not on our watch though. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) so thankful. This is such a great conversation. Tell
1: people where they can keep up with you online. Yeah. So my website's baremarriage.com. That's B-A-R-E. And you'll find our podcast, which is Bare Marriage. If you go to baremarriage.com, you can click on the link to books and you'll find great sex rescue and she deserves better. Under courses, we have our puberty course. There's all kinds of stuff there. And then my socials are there. I'm really big on Instagram. All my fixed it for yous are fun and on Twitter. So yeah. Just go to com and you'll find everything. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.